very welcome to another episode of the selection box from an Irishman abroad our arts and culture branch of our podcast network uh, what a show we have for you today with the incomparable John Hastings a man who I've worked with uh, so many times and had no idea if he had any Irish blood in him until I asked him you look like the most Irish man ever to have lived I mean it's it's <laughs> utterly ridiculous and as soon as I so here's the thing is Andrew Maxwell and anyone who's been to Ireland just goes what they love to tell me is you know you look like a guard and I go yeah I've been to Ireland I understand I they look at me and I look at them like it's like like they look at me like why are you doing out of uniform and I look at them being like why are you guys all dressed so sexy and um to the point by the way that I relatively recently was on a internet zoom date situation in the lockdown zoom date oh time my God. and an American who had been to Ireland for a week said, has anyone ever told you you look like a guard? And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, they have. So yes, no, as it turns out, my great grandfather's name was Patrick Joseph Coffey. My grandmother's maiden name was Coffey. So I am uh, an eighth Irish and I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was utterly shocked. All this time I thought I was Scotch and English, but I'm the the holy trinity of that part of Europe. <laughs> Scottish, English, Irish, baby. I think it's, it's when... Um, People from across the pond uh, use fractions and decimals <laughs> to describe the quantity of Irish they are. That's when people go, ah, that's that's not really Irish. But that that really is the only way to understand your heritage now. Yeah, and to- because here's the thing is I say to them, my ancestors were adventurous and got a boot, <laughs> got on a boat that went further than Liverpool. So... I got news for you. It was an Irish guy on a boat. What do you fucking think happened? He shagged some people. And how you do it? Like, it's my favorite thing about Ireland, by the way, is the greatest trick the world the Irish ever pulled was convinced the world that you guys are sad drunks when what you actually are is an island of the horniest people. <laughs> to ever walk the planet <laughs> well john it's brilliant to have you on the show uh, <laughs> what a great place to begin our discussion about the the new album float like a butterfly john hastings like a bee i've listened to it and you know i was around when this show was doing the rounds and it must be extremely strange just as it was when i put out my own special during lockdown to listen back to it and kind of remember that world. Like, I'm sure you're getting asked about this a lot, but there's a big concern in me around stand-up comedy that the reason why we enjoy it so much in the attendance is because it's a real place where we let down our guard and relax. And my concern about the future of comedy is how far away is true relaxation. Have I may, am I talking utter rubbish here or is there anything? No, no, no. I, I understand totally what you mean, which is basically it was a place where you come in this room, you turn your phone off, lock down. Someone's going to entertain you for an hour, hour and a half. You walk out, go back to forget your troubles. And the problem with right now is the way COVID regulations are is you won't forget your troubles because you'll be in a mask. You'll be da 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 da. I don't mm. know how long it's going to be. I would say three years from start to finish is my guess with this thing. So I would say that we're looking at sort of end of 2022, beginning of 2023, and then we will be a hundred percent back to the way we were. Mm. Writing comedy shows about that weird time. 
I mean, no one should write a comedy show about this weird time because what name your favorite piece of media or your favorite story or your favorite movie or your favorite TV show set in the Spanish flu. Yeah, I just don't go along with that. And I've heard this a bunch of times. In fact, I recorded a show in Dublin where the booker told me no pandemic material. And I was like, oh, I was like, don't tell me what to do was my first Hmm. response. And I was like, well, why are you saying that? And they said, because we've done research with our audience and they don't want to hear pandemic jokes. And I get that you were too close to it right now and that a lot of people have lost people. And of course, there's division. We can't all agree Mm -hmm. on the same things. But nobody knows they want to hear the jokes they want to hear until they hear them. So I completely. I completely agree with you. And when I I say that, I don't mean like have pandemic shows, have the way the world is. A, what and bookers never say it the right way. What they actually mean is if you're going to do pandemic material, make sure it's really good Mm. because we've heard all of it in the same way. And I will say this until I'm blue in the face. There is no war on comedy. There is no PC police. When someone says don't joke about that subject, it means a lot of people you'll be performing comedy to have heard it already or have negative feelings about that subject. So if you're going to do it, you better be a samurai master wielding a 10 times folded, perfectly crafted sword, Mm -hmm. perfectly hitting that moment. Because if not, it's just wasting everyone's time and going to make people feel bad. And that's how I'm looking at it when it comes to pandemic material. And what's so interesting is you have to go with your experience. You were a father and a husband through all of this. Your pandemic is so different than mine. And that's the other thing is everyone's sort of treating it like we had the same pandemic. I was in the States and in Canada throughout of it. You were in, I assume, the UK. Mm -hmm. You didn't head back to Ireland. Those are completely different experiences. I got the vaccine in March. You got it in June. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where I think it's a really fruitful time to find stuff. But it's also that thing of people forget how different everyone's experience was. Like, I... The first three months of this pandemic, I literally was – I couldn't stop from smiling. I was so burnt out. I was so <laughs> fucked up. I had so much pressure for a bunch of different stuff that was really, really good pressure and may have got made for a really great 2020 and a really great 2021. But I was like desperately needing a break. Like For those of you who don't know who I am, I did America's Got Talent in 2020. I did it the day the COVID lockdown started. And that was supposed to, before COVID's kickoff this year, where I did America's Got Talent, two days later, flew to Australia. The year before, I had surprised, sold out my run, been upgraded to a big, like that festival we all dream of, I sort of had a taste of it and I was going back to capitalize on it, which was a huge amount of pressure. And then I had to fly back as soon as that festival ended to tape, in theory, another episode of America's Got Talent. So I had this like giant, four week stress, crazy, intense pressure cooker moment that COVID just destroyed in a second. It would have been great for my career, but my mental health for that first month was just like, I, for the first time in 15 years, I didn't have FOMO. I wasn't competing with anyone. Mm. I wasn't worrying about a festival. I wasn't worrying about a show. I bought an Xbox and I learned what video games were <laughs> for three months. And then as Jarlow throws, and as we can reveal as we go through, the pandemic changed completely. I can't do material about those first three months or I have to figure out how to do material about enjoying parts of the pandemic because I think some people 
really did. But other people literally were biting their faces off from the day the lockdown started to today when we're in, depending on where you are, full lockdown to Delta variant ignoring freedom. Yeah, I mean, it's so great to talk to you, John, to be honest with you. I, <laughs> I do miss like just chatting to comics and the amount of, yeah. you know, how good that is for your mental health in and, and your, your creative process. In, well, it's also in good for business. just purely dealing with people that are because comics have a bit of argumentative is the wrong one but it's that little i like looking at it from the weird angle you know what i mean and it's if you're you're talking to too many people those straight jobs they'll just be like ah it's a covid pandemic but it's you know like you know only a comedian would be like let me tell you what i found out about in covid and you're like what and you're like um, like, and this weird scam, odd thing that's happening. And Completely. Like, yeah. the, every fuck? comic will come to you. Unlike, an, uh, uh, I don't call them civilians, but let's call them civilians now. But unlike a civilian. Uh, I don't like, I like, I like straight job or like, <laughs> yeah. like, like nine to five day people <laughs> is another one I use. Yeah. Cause it's like, I like that there's day, like it's a Mike Wilmot line, but there's day people and night people. Yeah. Well, and the, the day, day people's job is to get some night people money, give some money to the night people. That's their job. <laughs> Well, the night people will come to you with an angle and, and oh boy. A, wait till you hear this. <laughs> and you know also, what? Do I, you miss <laughs> the com- the comedy industry gossip? Oh, I miss <laughs> you know, it so. I, I've never really got into that side of things, to be totally honest with you. I, I probably have one or two people who I'll be like, fill me in on what's happening with that person. <laughs> they'll I'm know. Exactly. Uh, but uh, yeah, I... I guess I miss I miss long car journeys with people I, where I don't need to know what what's in their body or what was what's their status on this thing. I just find that split like you talk about the, the you know, the unity on this and the unity of thought that I find mm. that at least when we go into a club and we got on stage there was a certain amount of understanding as to who everybody is and it's a presumption and an assumption that can be proven wrong as the evening plays out but the splintering of public opinion on every aspect of everything that trickles down from this has made me concerned for comedy and you are someone who is raised in a similar enough comedy environment to the Irish comedy environment in that in Canada, if I'd imagine, I'm guessing this, if you die on your arse or bomb, as they say in America, mm. I'd imagine everybody knows about it and remembers it. <laughs> oh, buddy, it's so funny. It's so funny. And I'm sure you that I, I visited the scene that i started in that i hadn't like so i started in canada and i started in montreal so i started where just for laughs is but it's a very small like scene that has like sort of and i assume ireland is like this where every town has sort of those four guys Mm. that stayed in the town and Mm -hmm. you're like pretty sure you know how they make money Mm. but every once in a while you're like how do you fucking have a housemate and like you know that like you know what i mean just do you ever find yourself just looking at the back of someone's head being like how the fuck do you have cash every time i look out the window of an airplane i wondered how does everybody have a house and i don't oh my god i mean that's the other one where you see it's also that other one where sometimes you're just like wait like i also just i feel like I would pay so much money for an app where you could just scan it on someone's face and you just get 
either you get like a little symbol that either shows parent money or spouse money where you're just and I by the way no shame in that I just want to know because it's a different you're just dealing with a it's a different worldview than mm. other people you know what I mean so mm. it's just one of the I just want I just because I'm just like how the fuck like, there's just certain people in Ireland especially there's like four guys that I that are Irish comics that only give a gig in Ireland one of whom I occasionally run I'm not going to say his name mm. but I will we all I'll, know I'll, who yeah, I mean, I literally don't like even the way he talks. Like you're just like, you know what I mean? Like, how do I say this? For those of you that can't picture a big picture, the type of guy that wears a lot of tweed and really describes a woman based on their race. Do you know what I'm saying? Like not in a racist, but it's a very racial comment. That type of person. Mm. I look at them being like, how do you pay a phone bill? I actually like I'm like, mm. show me your pay as you go. You're not on a contract. <laughs> All of those sort of people. I never in thought I would miss all I miss right now. But what was amazing was going back in COVID to the scene I started in and how the same so many people were and how like blood feuds and weird things had mm -hmm. carried on for 11 years mm -hmm. and they had still thought of me and all of my, cause my year kind of left my, I don't know, like Ireland and Canada, by the way, You've nailed I never thought of it and I've visited the Irish scene. I'm aware of it from talking to people. It's exactly the same. There's the certain years everyone will fuck off to the bigger show America, Toronto, mm. the UK. Other years that class will just stay in your case in Ireland or within whatever market in Canada. And, they're and sort it of probably in, and reflects the economic prosperity of the time. I didn't even uh, clue on it, but that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. You, oh, my God. Yeah. So if it's it was the guys that stayed in Montreal were able to ride that wave of the 90s comedy road boom. So they had enough of a nest egg and or just didn't move quick enough to go somewhere else in those struggle years of your 20s. So they're just kind of like, all right, I stay here now. But yeah, that's. Mm. And it's a I'm, dangerous. Isn't it a dangerous place to be the kind of cool cat in a small place like that, that the spreading of your wings in so many ways is just so, so essential. Uh, it is the best thing that ever happened to me was a bunch of bitter was spending three years when I moved to Toronto, three years driving all sorts of distances with bitter people that Canada does bitter people better than any country on the planet. And I took away from that going, I got to get out of Canada. I got to spread my wings. I got to I got to make as many different places I can play at the drop of a hat around the world because this no one is no one owes you a bowl of soup in this game, which is fine. But just be aware of that. And so like so within, who are your guys like who were the people that you looked to there? Because that obviously isn't an, an idea that you conjured uh, of your own <laughs> doing. I mean, there's no, no, no. So great can, Canadians so can, coming out of there. Uh, so Canada's the shadow of Mike Wilmot and a, and Tom Stayed and Phil Nickel, all the Canadians that sort of went to the UK. There's sort of apocryphal stories of what's going on and how crazy good they're doing. And they're all doing very well, but it's like they're very good. Comp they're not, you know, they're not Michael McIntyre level, but they're earning a serious living, mm, mm. which can't and can't be necessarily said about in Canada. So you're just like, and they have respect. Like, let's be honest, both the guys you mentioned there have a lot oh, of respect. Yeah. And I mean, in so many ways, that's worth so much more. And it's not it's not worth more when you're trying to pay your rent. But in a lot of ways, it means you've got a future. 
Yeah, and it was also the big thing for me was like you could do a show every night because in 20 when I heard about this 2010 I can literally tell you which was I won a competition I won the equivalent of sort of so you think you're funny or raw for the our Australian Irish literate, uh, listeners so a big comedy competition called the homegrown comedy competition which they don't really do a version of anymore mm-hmm. and at that people were like you got to figure out where you're going to go you shouldn't try and stay in Canada and I couldn't afford a visa and the U.S. is very difficult for Canadians to get into, especially in those years because we didn't go to the war in Iraq. So, and the U.K. is Commonwealth with Canada. So it was 250 bucks. And to prove I had a certain amount of money in my bank account, which you could just borrow from someone, put in your bank account and boom, you have a two year visa. So coming to the U.K. made total sense in that you heard these legends of these guys making cool things in like he gigs in Italy. for free. You can go to Italy for free. <laughs> Which is, and it's even the connection of Canada to uh, the Ireland comedy scene, even in that, in that I assume that that sort of said in Ireland to the other Irish comics is like, yeah, it's all right. But what you really want to do is get to London for a bit. And it's sort of that thing of if you can kind of boom up, you can bump up a level here by just moving there. And I'm sure the examples like I would get your Tom Stades and your Phil Nichols and your Mike Wilmots. I'm sure all the Irish guys get like your Andrew Maxwell's and your Dylan Morans or Morans. I still don't know. Um, yeah. And, and this becomes uh, well, a gateway here. into the world, essentially, that yeah. London isn't just a location in itself, that you're suddenly being booked in places like Tumler in uh, the Netherlands. And, and you said, like you say, it must have seemed so strange to be in Canada on those cold car rides with the vision of if I can get to London, I may be gigging in Italy yeah. <laughs> and looking out like, on the coast. I mean, like I, I, I love this, this, um, this parallel sort of thing. Cause it's exactly that. Like I assume you thought of it, you know, you're in like County down playing yeah. for some sheep and a couple of guys that have guns. Yeah. And no, we and, can't pay you. We can't pay you. But like, well, I tell you, there'd be as many pints as you like on the way. <laughs> we have a fierce load of mangoes you can take back if you know what I'm saying there, Tark. Don't I'll you just worry. pour those pints into the the fuel tank of my car and I'll drive home. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll tell you, no one does. You aren't being paid, but we can offer you something that isn't helpful better than Americans. Like Canadians, Brits, we all pretend that we're charming. I've lived in America now sort of almost three years, sort of almost a year and a half, depending on how you count it because of COVID and being on the road. They are fucking like they literally will be like, listen, the gig doesn't pay. But when you get here, there will be one. of There will be a sandwich of your choice. Oh, There's only one option. Sandwich. Like you're just like. Go on. And it's just like, it's just, and they just do it in a way where you're like, well, yeah, I don't know. It's, I find it utterly fascinating. So, but, so, but hang on, let me pause there because, you, you know, this is all, this underpins everything that what we're, we're talking about here and the experience of moving away that so many of our listeners are mm. living right now. And it's the appreciation for your work that weirdly in the States, there's, there's still a kind of a, a view that the exposure is going to be great for you. And yes. in Ireland, there's still a certain amount. And I haven't you know, lived here nearly a decade, but there was a certain amount of, sure, aren't you just doing it for the crack? Sure, it's not even a real job. Like, come on, mm-hmm. let's get real mm-hmm. here. We're here to have a good time. Then there is the UK where it's like, we wouldn't possibly offer you less than, you know, what is the going rate? for Mm. a show such as this 
with this many people at it. That's not to say that there aren't gigs where they're going, here's 20 pounds, fuck off. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that sense that you were going to somewhere where the thing that you adored doing was compensated appropriately must have also had you just kind of itching to go. It was amazing. And it's sort of this weird thing of, I had such a weird trajectory with the kid in that I loved, it's not weird. There's a defining moment where it changed and I feel like I was the only one that felt it or I'm the only one that spoke about it, which was the UK from 2012 to about end of 2015 was a very different country than 2016 till when I left at the um, like end of December 2017. Mm -hmm. And it was exactly this amazing creative place. It was very frustrating and very hard. I wanted to get a bit more out of stuff. I look back a lot of I got a lot of stuff like it was great and I was incredibly well respected. I wanted I wanted more, but I look back and go, the reason why you weren't getting more is I was trying to do that like Edinburgh show with a theme. I should have just done stand up. That's my strength. But the journey I was on was to learn that. Mm. And it took four Edinburgh hours of sort of like almost teasing and experimenting and figuring it out to get to a place where I was like, oh, I'm proud of the hours I was pumping out. The 2018, which is the album that is coming out right now, is the first one of those albums, which is why it's kind of like, uh, what it basically was, was I was always trying to run around and do different things, try and do different stuff. And I got a new agent, Alex Hall, who now works for the assembly. And she said, how about for this year, you just do stand up, which resulted in the album I'm very proud of. But to go back to your bigger question of, the UK was so amazing in that, like you were being compensated around the world. There are some frustrating things about the UK comedy scene, let's not lie. Mm -hmm. They love a bit of the, we'll pay you in three months to six months oh, to yeah. chasing with an Ooh, invoice. Jeepers, they love that. They really love that. Oh, they love a love bit that. of that. They do a fine <laughs> sideline in somehow blaming you for them not paying you. Like they, it was like, I mean, there was one guy, I'm not going to, I, well, I can say his name, but I'm not going. I could. Anyway, one guy sent me an email being angry at me that I sent him a shitty email because he hadn't paid me in a year. And then he paid me that money. And then I'd done another gig for him and he hadn't paid me for that. So I sent him a shitty email and he responded being like, my assistant read that and didn't really appreciate it. And I almost this is an English <laughs> trick, by the way, they can make you feel bad for anything. I almost responded with sorry. And then I had to go. I, I apologize to your assistant. I don't apologize to you. You are a thief at this point. <laughs> like, don't do that. But what for me really helped moving to England, what helps dealing with America where they pay you an exposure was those two years after Brexit. And I, I don't know mm. if you felt this, but I felt it where it went from, we are the United Kingdom. We are a place of opportunity. We do not talk about the American dream like the Americans. That is unrealistic. But we are a marketplace for the world. London is the capital of the world. Come here. Ply your trade. You will earn a living. You will have health care. This is an open place. This is an intellectual place. And the absolute bullshit of that or the absolute not truth of that was revealed with Brexit. And I don't – I know – that some people listening to this might be for it. I mean, that would be weird if you're listening to the Irishman Abroad <laughs> podcast network. But from where I was stood, that was England shooting itself in the head and revealing itself as a cultural backwater with far right unnecessary leanings because people can't handle the fact that sometimes a portion of your life is unfair. That's what that read is. And it came across like this bitter, divided nation that wasn't fun to live in. Mm. I remember two weeks after Brexit, I pulled into either Leeds or Sheffield train station and someone had a Nazi flag hanging from their balcony. And that's really, I'm a straight white man. 
if they if the Nazis come back, I'll be all right. I'll be able to escape somewhere. But that's fucking unnerving. I got told to go home, and I'm aware that this sounds like white privilege, but it's like that that especially hurts if you're in your 30s and never heard any sort of xenophobia or racism. You know what I mean? Like you're you're Irish, Charlotte. You landed mm. in England. Four people told you a very off-putting joke that involved someone named Pat that was apoplectically stupid. They don't do that to Canadians. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> um, so it was just. It was it was such a weird backwards experience because I got all the loneliness of moving to I had a little bit of it at the beginning, but uh, there was gigs and there was excitement. And, you know, being in London the first time is fucking amazing and jarring and weird because you're just, you know, you're in Soho and they're like, ah, we're, we're doing abortions on salsa dancers over here. And for for a penny, you can kill a cat. Would you like a pint? And you're like, yeah, what what kind of neighborhood is this? And then I had all that loneliness and isolation sort of. 2016 2017 watching this place that i loved kind of shift and change which is why i then i was always applying to move to the states but i moved to the states partly because i a part of me was like there's no way trump's going to get a second term america is going to turn around this flirt with populist fascism a bit sooner than the english because americans americans like to win and this direction isn't a winner's direction and england likes to dig their heels in culturally they'll dig into brexit and go down with this ship and thus far i feel that i'm right every well, english person by the way says i'm wrong but that's just them well remarkably trump would have gotten a second term were it not for COVID. oh I think that's, we don't know we do not know that well, i by the way we, we know we know basically on this network from our u.s <laughs> correspondent marion mckeown every friday really do urge people to listen into that every friday that yeah we don't know that for sure but we do know that it was an iceberg dead ahead that he had no notion of mm -hmm. how to navigate. Now, bizarrely, uh, John, the attitude in the UK at the moment is we never would have gotten such a great deal on the vaccines if we hadn't gone out on our own and been our <sighs> own person in the international market getting these vaccines. Boris is a true genius. He can do no wrong, regardless of how it was mishandled in the beginning and the number of lives that that caused. I felt that shift that you're describing. I really did feel mm. that shift. And, you know, I make no bones about it that I started to make my plan to get out uh, more or less at the same time. You got, got out and... Yeah. got this America's Got Talent opportunity, as you say, that is a like a game changer for so many people. That's the beginning of the next chapter of their life. How hard was it to sense that this is wonderful and I'm on the brink of something huge here and then to kind of have it pulled away to an extent? It's interesting. Everyone says, oh, it was pulled away. And it's, I think I got the perfect AGT experience for me, which sounds very strange. So I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. I thought I can get very artsy fartsy and just go like, no, I want to do comedy for people in a wet basement. I don't want to do theater. I want like hmm. I like the illegal feeling of it. So it was one of those things where I was in the US. I was trying to find a manager. I had met 
who is now my manager a few times through a uh, British comedian and excellent human being and excellent comedian, Jenny Bede. And my now manager sort of said, I can hip pocket you, which is a term they have in the States, which is I don't represent you, but there's certain things that like I'll submit you along with my other clients. One of those she said was America's Got Talent. Would you like to submit for that? And at the time I was in the run up to planning for my wedding. She's like, I, you got to get me a tape. So my at the, at the now ex-wife, but at the time, girlfriend, big saga, said, yeah, totally fine. I ran around while we were in the run up to our wedding, getting a tape for AGT. But by doing that, because I had something bigger, which was my own wedding, I never thought about it as mm. a thing. It was just a, I got to run and do a set for five minutes and set a tape to this woman. And then it became, you got the show. And then she signed me. And then it became preparing for it. But it was like, there was all this other stuff. Like I had that Australia run that I was like, it never clued in that it was a thing like I was preparing for it and I was nervous because I didn't want to come across like an absolute smacked asshole on international television and then like you go to the place four times I don't know because in the end it's a it's a talent show it's a reality show dressed up like a talent show so they're doing stuff like making sure you're tired making sure that like they're talking about emotional things they're asking you questions four or five times to try and and get you in the mood and it was such an interesting thing because i was like i'd been through enough television and read enough about reality tv that i knew what they were doing so i could give them enough that it would work and i wouldn't get cut because there wasn't a compelling story wow. but i wasn't going to cry because wow. in the end, my, I'm a stand-up, and I'm like, there's nothing funny about that. You know what I mean? So that's a little taste of the selection box from the Irishman Abroad Podcast Network. Come on over and hear the rest of this conversation and all of our feature interviews on a Sunday and our back catalogue and archive of nearly eight years of conversation with the best Irish people ever to have lived. All available exclusively on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Support the show for less than a price of a cup of coffee and a bun on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad.